Hi, this is Very Bad Words, and I'm Matt Fiddler. The other day, I had a fascinating conversation with James LaRue about banned books for next week's episode. Because James is the director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom. And I was the director of the, uh, the Douglas County Libraries in Colorado for 24 years. And as the director of his county library system in Colorado, he got a lot of challenges from people who didn't want certain books available in the library. Basically calling for certain books to be banned. And you've probably heard of this kind of thing before happening. And maybe your question is the same as mine. Who are these people? Most of the time, the reasons that books are challenged, it comes from parents. And James LaRue says that parents first start complaining about library books, both at public libraries and school libraries, when their kids are between four and six years old. Because at this stage, they're in school, having books read to them by their teachers, interacting with other children, learning new ideas. And parents start to notice that their kid is changing, perhaps losing their innocence a little bit. And they say, I'm seeing this life transition in my child's existence. There, it's the end of infancy and the beginning of childhood, four to six. Which explains the type of book that is most likely to be complained about. Now, you might expect it to be books dealing with explicit sexuality, because we are this puritanical society. But no. In fact, the number one kind of literature that was most frequently challenged was fairy tales. Yes, fairy tales, like Hansel and Gretel, Rumpelstiltskin, and the Three Pigs. Now, if you were a typical American kid, you might wonder why this is. These are sweet, innocent stories, often cartoonized by Disney and others. Or maybe you grew up like me. I was read the original versions from the collection originally published by the Brothers Grimm in the early 19th century. But it's not easy to find the original Grimm Brothers fairy tales in most libraries. What you find is the prettified version. You find the Disney version. Uh, let's take Little Red Riding Hood. You know, so the version that most people know is Little Red Riding Hood on her way to grandma's house with a basket of goodies, gets stopped by a wolf. The wolf learns her trip to grandma's and lets Red on her way. The wolf skips ahead, eats grandma, and lies in waiting for Little Red Riding Hood dressed as the grandmother. Little Red Riding Hood is almost fooled and eaten. Remember what big eyes you have, grandma. But some woodsman or woodcutter marches in and saves the day and even cuts Grandma out of the wolf's stomach, who miraculously survives. A nice, happy ending to a kind of fucked-up situation. But uh, the other side is that when you go back and you read the original Grimm Brothers fairy tale, there was no woodcutter. Granny died. Little Red Riding Hood died. And so the story, what the fairy tale was about, was don't talk to wolves in the forest, don't talk to strangers. It was a cautionary tale. But some parents don't like this. They want this kind of thing removed from a library where their kid might find it in the children's section. So many libraries only carry the Disney version with the woodcutter saving everyone's life at the end. But this still offends some parents. So someone complains about the version that at the beginning has Little Red and she has a basket and has a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine. She meets the wolf. The wolf gets ahead of her. He eats granny. She comes in. The wolf is chasing her around and about to eat her when the woodcutter comes in and conks the wolf on the head with his axe, slices open the wolf, and Granny steps out. And at the very end, Granny is having a glass of wine. Well, the complaint, complaint that I got about this is that Granny is a drunk. This book is promoting uh, senior alcoholism. Wow. So what do you think? 
parents with young children out there, are these stories a bad influence? Are they encouraging people to decimate our American wolf population or encourage unhealthy drinking habits? James doesn't think so. So that's interesting in itself because it says, you know, all the, all the things that we want to keep cleaning it up until there's absolutely no problem there at all. And my first response is that, you know, if I had just been sliced out of a wolf, I want to drink and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> and he just doesn't think these stories do harm. Because one evening, he read to his young daughter from the original Brothers Grimm fairy tales. And I was reading, I think it was Cinderella, and at the end, everyone gets their comeuppance. So the, the two evil stepsisters have their eyes pecked out by crows, and the evil stepmother, they make her dance in heated iron boots until her legs are bloody stumps. And I was reading that at the time to my four-year-old daughter, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, halfway through this, you know, what should I do? Should I stop and reach for a Berenstain book, you know, something that's, you know, totally innocuous? Or do we go ahead and get through this and then have a conversation? I thought, well, I'll finish. And so I finished the book. It ended in such a gruesome fashion. And I looked over at my four-year-old to see what she would say. And she grabbed my forearm and said, read it again. <laughs> and I assume she's like a psychotic murdering um you know, crazy person now because of this? Um, probably one of the sweetest and best prepared people I know because the purpose of fairy tales is this. There are wolves in the woods. And how do you prepare your children? You know, and so what fairy tales do, the reason fairy tales endure is children sense quite rightly that the world can be kind of a dangerous place sometimes. And fairy tales get them ready for it. They're imaginative antibodies to the ills of the world. One of the stories about the frog prince, you know, where the uh, girl has to, uh, the frog wants to follow her home and he sleeps on the pillow next to her and it isn't until she kisses him that, you know, uh, he turns into a human being. Well, I've read books that say this is really about the fear of the wedding night. So the man is the frog and as long as she's afraid of him, then it's terror. But at some point there's some intimacy and trust and friendship and then that's the maturation of sexual content. So, you know, I, I think the truth of it is, as is the case with good literature, with a good radio, with good music, it sort of explains things and it helps you think about the world and try to explore a new experience and grow up. And I always say to people is that uh, for those parents out there who are terrified of sex and they say, if, I, if only I can keep my child from reading about it, then I can keep them from doing it. A, that's not true. I mean, it's, uh, that's not going to work. But the second thing is, Reading about it is the safest sex there is. And what that does is it kind of, do you want somebody to discover this on their own on the street? Or would you prefer that they had a chance to read about it and think about it and talk about it with other people? That's a pretty damn convincing argument, I must say. Well, you know, and, it's, and it's like it's the difference between what do you want to do for your children? Do you want them to believe that everything will be a happy ending and then have them be devastated when it isn't? Or do you want to let them know that the world is a nuanced place and you want them to be resilient? Or as somebody said to me once, you can't child-proof the world. So you have to try to, have to, try to world-proof your child. And that's the subject of next week's Very Bad Words. Guarding the public from the truths hidden in literature. Some folks think it's up to themselves to protect the world, especially women and children, from the truths that art and literature often depict. And this crusade to clean up literature and art was led strongest by Anthony Comstock. 
Well, Anthony Comstock was a, terrified that sexual education knowledge would wind up in the hands of women, so he wanted to use the power of government to prevent it from getting there. In probably the most graphic sexual piece of literature written during Comstock's time, James Joyce's Ulysses. So subscribe to Very Bad Words in iTunes and listen in next week as we learn about how the most dangerous book in the world ultimately secured our rights to freedom of expression in the printed word. Check this one out. It's an insane and very important story on the next Very Bad Words. <laughs>